0: I'm so excited about this class that that's, we're showing on, that we're doing on Thursday because it's all about questions. And I'm a guy that loves to ask questions. We've been talking about that in the service today. I think everybody has questions and we need a place to be able to ask them, especially when it comes to this day, Easter. <laughs> because Easter is a day when it raises a lot of questions. And uh, sometimes we just don't get a chance to ask these. And it doesn't feel like there's safe places to talk to them. And I want you to know that Church of the Open Door is a safe place for any questions you have. It's how I came to faith. It's how a lot of us came to understand. We asked questions. So this is a place where you can always ask questions. And when it comes to what we're talking about today, Easter, which, by the way, just so we're clear, That means the celebration of Jesus Christ, resurrection from the dead. That's what Easter's all about. And when you say that phrase, Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, that ought to raise some questions because uh, that doesn't happen every day. In fact, when people have throughout history have ever heard the story of Jesus for the first time, and they get to the part about the resurrection, they're like, huh, what? There's, there's so many questions that get raised and questions like, well, how? how? How does that happen? How does somebody die, get buried, live, you know, not live, be dead in that tomb for three days and then come back to life? How does that work? And so the, some people begin to ask, well, did he really die in the first place? Because no one, has ever been resurrected before. Now, people have been resuscitated. That means somebody dies and then they are brought back to life, but they're gonna die again. Resurrection is completely different from resuscitation. Resurrection means you are brought back to life, never to die again. And that raises questions like, huh? How does that work? And so people start asking, well, how do we know? I mean, where does this stuff even come from? How do we know that Jesus was resurrected? What's all these songs about? What's that guy out there jawing about? Did anybody really see him, touch him, or is this just a story? Can you actually prove that Jesus was resurrected? And then there's the question that I also really love, and that's the question of so What? <laughs> This happened 2,000 years ago. I mean, what does that affect me? How does that affect me today? I mean, 2,000 years ago, we're still talking about Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. Isn't that just another religious story? How does that impact me today? Well, it might surprise you that these questions and more is very, very common when a person begins to hear the truth claims about Jesus being raised to the dead. All the way back to the very beginning, the first reactions, it might surprise you to hear this. The first reactions of the news that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead brought up all kinds of confusion, questions, and unbelief. And and this is from the people that that knew Jesus. They're like, wait a minute, I saw him die. Or a friend of mine said they saw him die. He he can't be alive. That's the confusion. And then the questions start rolling in. See, so I think sometimes we think that when Jesus was raised from the dead, everybody was like, yeah, hallelujah, woo. That's what we're singing about, yeah. That is how nobody responded. Maybe you didn't know this. Not one person Heard about the resurrection, you know, the day, in the days that it, after it happened, and went, you know, loud hallelujah, started dancing, woo! I know this is great. They're all scratching their heads, going, "What are you talking about?" And sometimes it's good for us to go back and deal with the facts of what actually happened, and ask ourselves the question, "Why should I believe today that Jesus was resurrected?" See, sometimes people look at people like me and church people, and they're like, yeah, you know, you know, every religion has their stories. And, you know, Easter's about, I think something about Easter bunnies and eggs and new clothes and Jesus. I'm not really sure how this all goes together, but I mean, sure, I'm sure someone's got this figured out. And we hear things and we're just like, what are you guys even talking about? So I thought it would be valuable for us to ask the question, because this is what we're about why because this is not just some religious story some of you might be thinking you know do we really believe this stuff let me let me just come real clean we literally believe that Jesus died on a cross this is not a story that's made up it's not a fable literally historically he lived he died on a cross. The Romans put him to death. They took him down from the cross. They put him in a grave. And we believe he literally came back to life, was raised from the dead and is alive today. That's what we believe. That's what Easter's all about. It's not just a story. <laughs> yeah, these people are clapping because they believe too. So it's, it's important for you to understand the, 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 the facts about this. So let's start asking some questions. I I was working on this this sermon this past week, and I got thinking, you know, I've been preaching for like 30 years. It started when I was two. I've been preaching for like 30 years, and I don't think I've ever preached an Easter sermon or any sermon that literally walked through the, the evidence for why we believe in the resurrection. And I'm like, I've taught about it but I don't think I've ever preached about it. So I'm like, it's about time. So uh, I'm gonna invite you to turn to John chapter 20. Um, and usually we stand, but I'm not gonna have anybody stand today because I'm gonna read so much because the story is so cool. I'm gonna read so much. We're gonna be standing up, sitting down, stand, you know, up and down, up and down. So just chill. Those of you who come here regularly, you're like, hey, we always stand. It's all right, it's all right. Why, why John? Well, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John not John the Baptist, this is John the disciple, he hung out with Jesus for three years. He was like a best friend with Jesus. And he watched Jesus die. From the cross, Jesus looked down on this guy, John, and said, John, take care of my mom. I think he said mother, but take care of my mother. And And then then he died. So so John's like special. And then John saw Jesus alive with his own eyes. So he's like a great person for us to talk. So he wrote a gospel, the gospel of John. In chapter 20, I'm gonna read this just so we can kind of start getting a head start, kind of a running start into this story. Um, This is the first day of the week. So this is why we talk about celebrating resurrection on Sunday First day of the week, so early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, a woman named Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, the tomb where Jesus had been laid, and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Let's pause there just for a minute. She's not expecting this. She's, she's full of grief, she's full of sadness. She's going there, maybe not even knowing why. Some people, one gospel says that they were bringing spices. I don't know. She, but she's not expecting to see the stone rolled away. So she went running to Simon Peter, a disciple of Jesus, and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. That's John. That's, that's the guy that wrote this. He's the one that Jesus loved. This is, this is his way of describing himself. He doesn't use his own name in the whole gospel. Whenever he refers to himself, he's like the guy that Jesus loved. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of cool. <laughs> So the one that Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So this is our first kind of evidence, our first proof. There's, There's like over 20 separate pieces of forensic information that scholars have pieced together. We're gonna summarize five of them, but we're gonna talk about more than that in the five. Here's the first one. The tomb is empty. The tomb where they laid Jesus's dead body. On Easter Sunday morning, people start coming. Of course, it's not Easter; it's just the first day of the week. Easter—the word Easter hadn't been invented yet. They're coming and the, the, see this tomb is is empty. The, and remember the phrase that I highlighted: the, when it came, when she came to the tomb, she saw that the stone, that massive stone, had been rolled away. Why? It was a stone rolled away. What's that all about? Well, this empty tomb is a big deal because even though there's this stone, and here's a picture of it. When I take people to Israel, I take them to this site. Um, There's a lot of these graves in Israel. Um, Not everybody had one, only the rich people. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was poor, didn't have a grave. And so a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, a rich guy, said you can said to the people, you could literally dump him in my grave, dump him in my tomb. I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus. They didn't know it was only gonna be in there for three days, <laughs> but they're like, so this is, this is, this is a, a common sight. This stone is massive, massive. And not only is it huge, but it rolls down and into a niche down here to cover up the opening so the stink doesn't get out, so animals don't get in. So, grave robbers don't get in. So, this is the, a common thing. They roll the stone over, and that body would decompose in the grave. But this one, three days later, this, so how did that stone get rolled away? Especially since this, this, this stone that's securing it is not only rolled down in there, but it's got a Roman uh, seal around it. And the, the question is how did that stone get moved? So another eyewitness, a guy named Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he tells us, here's the answer, it was a violent earthquake and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven going to the tomb. How did the stone get rolled back? The angel rolled back the stone and sat on it, kind of like this in triumph. It's like, I'm an angel, stones are no big deal for me. His appearance was like lightning. How do we know that? Because the guards saw him. And his, their, his clothes were like white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. These are Roman soldiers, war-torn, war-seasoned soldiers. And they flip out when they see this angel. I mean, I think I would too. After they wet their pants, they lay down on the ground like dead men, just like, bah, you know. The angel said to the women, because women now are coming to this tomb, they said, don't. Be afraid of these guys or this angel or what's going on. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. So the, the, the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there in the tomb. The, the, the stone is rolled away. You've got guards guarding it. It's like, how did the tomb get empty? with the huge stone securing it and soldiers guarding it. And when, when this angel says, I know you're looking for Jesus, he was crucified, but he's no longer here. This is, this, is a, this is the second big thing I want you to see. It has to do with the body of Jesus. He was crucified. He did die. You saw him die. Yep. He, it wasn't imagination. It, it, you, you saw it. The Roman soldiers saw it. Hundreds of people there watching Jesus die, all saw him die. And sometimes when people are trying to disprove the resurrection, they're like, he probably didn't really die. He probably just got beat up really bad. Anybody who talks like that reveals they know nothing about the ancient practice of crucifixion invented by the Persians and, and um, perfected by the Romans. It was the job of these Roman soldiers to make sure a person died and died slowly. This wasn't something they just were put on a detail. This is what they did, this was their job. And you don't let somebody live who's crucified. So, so you got these Roman soldiers, these professional killers. They made sure that Jesus was dead so the soldiers, the Jewish leaders who wanted to make sure that we killed Jesus, the authorities, the disciples who were like, no, 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 please, don't let him die, the women and all the onlookers, all the people saw him die, and then they buried him. There's no, there's no, there's no question about this. They they rushed him into the tomb because of that day the Passover, I mean, a uh, uh, Sabbath was starting the next day, so they, he was dead and buried, and now we got a problem. He's missing. The tomb is empty, and so this whole story of the body of Jesus—we saw him die, we saw him get buried. Where is he now? Now you know he came alive, but at this point in the story, nobody knows that. This is something. This is you've got to grasp this. As this is happening in real time, nobody's anticipating resurrection. They're living in the dead, buried, missing phase. Let me pause here, just. For one more proof, you know, the Jewish authorities who were threatened by Jesus were were so upset when they heard the news that he had been resurrected. They're like, no, that, that news can't get out. So they paid off the guards who saw the angel, who were at the resurrection, they paid them off and they tried to silence it. And when, when the disciples started teaching and preaching about the resurrection, they tried to shut them up. They, they would beat them up. They would put them in jail. They, they, they tried all these things to silence, but all they had to do would have been real easy to silence all this talk, this alleged resurrection. Real simple, produce the dead body, which bam, there was. <laughs> Produce the dead body, and that easily disproves the resurrection, but they could not find the dead body of Jesus. Why? We now know he was alive. He came alive. He was resurrected. So with all these proofs that are built into the empty tomb and the body of Jesus, we're starting to get some momentum here, but we got to ask ourselves the question, is this all it is? Is just stories about this? no. There's, there's three more significant things I want you to see. So let's go back to John. Simon Peter has heard the news because we, we read earlier that Mary ran to the disciples and said, The tomb is empty. He's not there, out of breath. And so Simon Peter and John run to the tomb. And so we pick up the story. They came along behind him. That's John the disciple. And when Peter went straight into the tomb, he saw eyewitness. He saw the strips of linen lying there. What are we talking about? Well, when they took someone down from the cross or when anybody died, they would wash the body, prepare the body. If they had time, put spices and all kinds of stuff on the the body and then wrap it with these clean linen cloths. And some people think they wrapped them like, like this. Other people think it was one long sheet from toe over the head, back down the back, down to the feet, and then wrapped We're not 100% sure, but there's this this story of the linens. That's a very typical story about somebody who's buried. We see it with the story with Lazarus. But in this case, Peter does not see something like, you know, Jesus woke up or Jesus was resurrected and then sat up and unwound the linens and rolled them up and put them aside. No, instead they see the linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around his head and it's just still lying in its place, separate from the linen. What's going on here? This is the grave clothes part of the evidence. Seeing these linens laying there, they're empty. There's there's no body. We've, We've already heard the tomb is empty, but now, With Literally, there's no body. So so here's the picture. These linen cloths are laying there as if the dead body of Jesus just disintegrated and just decomposed in three days, and it's just gone. Or he was literally raised up from the dead. They're undisturbed. They're empty, and they're unmoved. It's, it's like the body is just was there and now it's gone. And so he either disintegrated and decomposed in three days or he's literally raised up from the dead, that resurrection body, that body that, that moves through linen, through stone, through wood. Later on, Jesus walks through a a closed and locked door. He's got this glorified resurrected body. This has never happened in the history of the world. This is a miracle. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead left these linen cloths just laying there, just like they were when they were wrapped around the dead body of Jesus. And we're starting to grasp, okay, how how do we make sense of this? And this is some of the evidence that people, scholars begin to put together, but we still have a couple more things to see. Uh, back in Matthew, as he tells the story, he talks about the women um, seeing the empty tomb, trying to figure out what's going on. They hurry away from the tomb, afraid yet excited what's, what's going on and ran to tell his disciples, suddenly, here's the first appearance. To this point, Jesus has not shown up to anybody. The angels are there, the soldiers are laying out like they're dead. People are crying, but this is the first appearance. Jesus shows up. <laughs> I love the. It's like, hey guys, what's up? <laughs> and I, you know, I don't know if they were about to faint because like he was dead. They came to him, they clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said, so he's not just an apparition. He's not just he's like a ghost that they just see. He's speaking later on. He's eating later on. He's walking around. So, so this is a live body. This is a resurrected body. He goes, Don't be afraid. I know you've never seen that person raised from the dead, but go tell my brothers, that's the disciples, to go to Galilee and there they'll see me. So, this is the eyewitnesses. And this is where we start rolling out all the people who literally saw Jesus with their own eyes. Not a story. I keep using this word literal because I'm just trying to help you see this is something that they literally saw with their own eyes. There's actually at least 10, some people count 12, 10 separate appearances that Jesus made as the resurrected Lord. Here's the 10 that I put on the list. You can take a picture of that if you want. There's the scriptures to back it up. We already saw the story of Mary Magdalene, then Mary and Salome. Then it says in Luke 24 that Peter saw him Then this story of two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus just shows up, resurrected, starts talking to them. Then 10 of the apostles, remember there was 12. So Judas betrayed Jesus and Judas committed suicide. And the only one that's missing here is Thomas. So 12 minus two is the 10. And then a week later, Thomas shows, shows up and Jesus shows up with them. So now it's 11. And then there's another time they were out fishing and seven apostles were out fishing and Jesus shows up. And, and then later on, it's, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that one time he showed up with five, over 500 people saw him. And then this is a very significant one. James, Jesus's brother. So he's not a disciple. There is a disciple named James, but this is not that guy. This is Jesus's brother who grew up with him and didn't believe in him. It's like, I know Jesus. He, he's not God. He's cool. Well, he's a little bit intimidating, but... Nobody in Jesus' family believed except for his mother, Mary. Why did James, his brother, believe him? Because he saw the resurrected Jesus. And then, then Paul. And, and you know, there's, there's, there's other episodes like the Great Commission that I, I would throw in there, but there's at least 10 times separate appearances that Jesus makes. And if you add the 500 to the other 12, the 11 disciples plus the women, there's over 518 people. Guys, this is a slam dunk in a court of law. Over 518 individual people literally saw him with their own eyes. Yup. And when Paul wrote about this, he's like, you can still talk to some of these people today. It's like, woo. So what we're moving into now is these eyewitnesses who saw Jesus with their own eyes, something happened to them. Something. Dramatic, and what I'm about to tell you the last proof is to me the biggest and the greatest. This to me is the absolute slam dunk because what happened with these eyewitnesses is their lives got changed forever. Remember, they're not expecting resurrection, they don't believe it at first, they got questions, they're so. Ensconced in their grief, so buried in their grief, they can't think, they can't feel, it's just numb and shock. And it's like, I thought Jesus was the one. And seeing Jesus transformed them from grief to, let's see, here is the story of the the evening of that first day. So we're still on Sunday. Now we've moved up to verse 19. On the evening of Sunday, the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. Bam, he just walks through the door. Woo, and says, howdy, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands. Why? Because that's where the nails were. Showed them his side. And the disciples went from grief to joy. If you're taking notes, you want to write that down. From grief to joy. That transformation, that is just the beginning of a complete transformation that would happen with these disciples. Everything changed, as we heard earlier. Everything is different. Let's go to the next thing, because I skipped over a part. Did you see it? I highlighted it here. The disciples were huddled together with the doors locked. Why? Everybody say this word out loud. Out of? What are they afraid of? They're afraid that if they killed Jesus, our leader, they're coming after us next. Jesus is resurrected. Catch this. Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and his closest friends are huddled behind locked doors, living in fear. That still happens today. Jesus is resurrected from the dead, but there's still thousands, millions of people. The fact of the resurrection is true, but people are living in fear, their lives. Maybe your life is wracked by fear. Everything you do is out of fear. This is normal, especially for these guys, because the Jewish leaders, the Jewish authorities are the ones that put Jesus to death. But watch what happens. This, this cowering, hiding behind the locked doors. Again, these are strong men, or fishermen. These, these are not wusses. These are, these are men but they're, they're blown away by the grief. They're still shocked. They're still numb. They're afraid it's going to happen to them. And something transforms their life. So let me help you see the chronology here. Jesus dies. They bury him. Three days later, he's raised from the dead. Forty days later, he's a, he ascends up to heaven. Ten days after that, the Holy Spirit comes, fills these disciples, and they start talking about the resurrection to everybody they meet. It's just like, we saw Jesus, we, 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 we saw him with our own eyes and they can't stop talking about him. And, they, and they're talking about him all Jerusalem and Jerusalem authorities imprisoned them, beat them and said, shut up, quit talking, quit spreading this news about the alleged resurrection, but they couldn't shut him up. They beat him, they put him in jail and, and they just they got released from jail because they don't know what to do with these people. They couldn't stop them talking. So one day, Peter and John, we've met them, are walking up to the temple and they see a guy laying on some steps like this, who's paralyzed. And Peter sees him and the guy's asking for money, help me out, and, Jesus, and Peter goes, I don't got any money, but what I do have, I'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, stand up and walk. And people are like, what? And the guy gets up and walks and everyone's freaking out. What? This resurrection power is being unleashed in the community, in people's lives. And people's lives are getting changed. And people are like, what is the deal? So the authorities bring Peter and John back in and they they grill them again and they put them in jail. And when they're talking to them, Acts 4, 13 says, when they saw, the authorities saw the courage of Peter and John and realized, these are just blue collar workers, man. These guys didn't make this stuff up. They realized that these men had been with Jesus, not just three years of listening to him talk, but the resurrected Jesus and their cowering went to what? This courage where they're willing to be beat up for believing. So I just ask you, the beating up, the going to jail, and then history records one by one, these disciples being tortured and martyred. You know what that word means? murdered for believing in Jesus. The disciples watched their brothers one by one over the years get tortured and murdered, martyred, and not one of them said, it was all a story, we just made it up, I give. Come on, people don't die for a myth. People don't suffer and watch their friends suffer and be tortured and die a horrible death for, to keep some lie going. They didn't get any money. What was in it for the disciples? Nothing. What happened? Resurrection happened. It changed their lives. And they went from grief to joy, from cowering to courage, from despair to hope. And now they've got this live hope in them. So Peter would write years later, Again, God's great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was the resurrection that changed everything. And so Peter and Paul and Mary, they're all telling each other about this resurrection power. And Paul would write later and to a group of people living in the city of Ephesus, I pray that you guys understand the incredible greatness of God's power. For who? Everybody say out loud. For who? For us who believe. Come, we're going to come back to that. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. All these years later, Paul's still talking about this resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead and now is at work in you who believe. This is mind-boggling. And this transformation, this change is happening all over Israel. Then it spills out to the surrounding countries. Then it spills out throughout the Roman Empire. And one by one, two by two, it's a thousand by a thousand. This begins to spread. So people are coming to Christ and believing in the resurrection, getting their questions answered, and in some cases dying for what they believed, 10, 100, a 1,000, a, a million, just is exploding all the world to where 2,000 years later, we're not gathered here on Easter Sunday to just tell stories. We're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that he's changed our lives. Amen. That's what we're here for. So, I want you to understand this is not just something, it's a historical fact, but it's impacting people today. Today, people are still getting their lives transformed by the resurrection power of Jesus. You're sitting amongst them right now. They're all around you. So this last Thursday, I got this brilliant idea I sent an email to everybody who's on our mailing list. And I said, if your life has been changed by Jesus Christ, would you please send me a picture that I'm gonna put up on the screen on Easter Sunday to tell everybody that you're one of those who's got his life or her life transformed by the resurrection power. And the pictures started pouring in. So I put them up here. And one by one, these people started sending me pictures and they're going, my life has been changed. Some of your pictures are up here because you sent yours in. And all of our campuses, I got pictures just pouring in. My life has been changed by Jesus Christ. These people live among you. They're sitting right next to you. They're all around you. You're them, some of them. But understand, I know we're looking at the pictures. There, there I am. None of these people are saying, hey, I'm perfect. Look at me. You know, follow me. I'm perfect. No, none of them are saying that. All they're saying is that my life's been changed by Jesus Christ. I still have struggles. I still have to live, I have to work, I have to eat. I mean, I still live like everybody else, but I have a purpose for life. I have a meaning in life. Jesus has transformed my marriage, my life, my present, my future. Everything's different now. Look at the list keeps going. It's all these people. I'd love to see your picture up there. I'd love for your story to be interrupted by the resurrection of Jesus Christ so you could move from grief to joy, from cowering to courage, from despair to hope. I mean, what would you put? I'd love to see some of your stories. So I thought, you know what? Instead of just showing pictures, I have a friend who was up here on the slides and I thought, this guy has a transformation story I'd love for you to hear. So I could bring up thousands of people up here, but I want to bring up one. So Jack, um, thank you, Pierce. Jack, would you come on up? We need a mic for him. And I give Jack a big welcome. Okay, Alex, here's the mic right here. Okay, different mic. So um, let's, let's stand right here together. And I want you to hear Jack's story because he told me, this is the line he actually gave me. He said, my life went from despair despair to hope, that you used that phrase. Yes, I did. So uh, are you just like ex- exaggerating? Was it really despair?
1: Yeah, it was, it was despair, Jim. Um, I grew up an atheist. I spent 54 years not believing. Um, I used to make fun of believers. Hmm. Um, my life was just a train wreck. It was just I, two failed marriages, um, just didn't know what to, where to turn, just deep valleys.
0: When you were telling me this one time, you told me, if, if it's right for us to talk about this, yeah. that there was one particular day where that despair had so enveloped you, you know what I'm about to say.
1: Yeah. So, um, in in 2011, or late 20, early 2012, I went through a lot of personal things. I had a health issue, went through some really bad, I was single, went through a really bad relationship, had some work issues, and... Just it, I felt like I was at the bottom of the pit, and that there was no reason to continue on. And uh, yeah. fortunately, my mind was changed.
0: So, so tell us, you know, how did it despair turn to hope? Tell us what happened. Well, the next morning,
1: just as it happened, out of a strange chance, I met the woman I'm married to the very next morning, <laughs> and we um, we were married a few years later, and. In May of 2017, we were talking one day, and she was talking about her faith and all that. And I said, you don't understand how much I wish I could really feel that in my heart. Wow! And that was all God needed to <laughs> crack it open. And again, I didn't believe right away. I just said that I wanted to believe. And it took seven months before I really said, wow, this, is, this isn't the myth as you had put it, yeah. that it's reality and that this is the truth.
0: T- tell us the boat story. I love the boat yeah. story. <laughs> so in
1: October, October the 16th of 2017 is a day I'll never forget. Um, I fished tournaments, and I was at a tournament in Glasgow, Kentucky, on the Barren River, and I was having a really horrible day, and I was just at my wit's end, and I didn't know what to do. And right in the middle of the river on the front of my boat, I just said, I don't know what to do anymore I didn't know how to do it I, I'd never been through this but I was really blessed when I was in 5th grade at Central School in Amherst I had a teacher named Mrs. Johnson and every morning we did the Pledge of Allegiance and she taught us the Lord's Prayer every morning we did In it. Public school. in public school <laughs> and the funny part was in 5th grade you're 12 years old and I hadn't said it until I was 54 oh, but it was ingrained are in me are you
0: kidding me? yeah so you you just talk to God I with just the talked to prayer God. you knew.
1: You made me new.
0: <laughs> I
1: love delivered you delivered me <laughs> from despair. Yeah.
0: So by the way, it's it, you wouldn't say that the people have to say that prayer. I mean, it's no. Really,
1: hey. um, and and again, you you said earlier, it's there's no magic words. Um, being a believer doesn't mean that you don't have problems. I have problems. Doesn't mean you're not a sinner. I'm still a sinner. Um, you know. On Good Friday, you did something that was extremely symbolic. You had a big wooden cross here, red paper that said all my sins. I nailed my sins to that cross. I nailed them to, to that cross on the day I got on my knees on the Barren River. But everybody can nail their sins to that cross, Jim. Yeah.
0: And that's when you've started to see the hope.
1: It's where you see the hope because of in Pierce's opening, they flashed the big words of freedom up there. And all of a sudden... I had the freedom because I'm saved by Jesus Christ.
0: The thing that struck me, I think, most about your story is you told me that people who knew you could tell a change had happened because of the way you treated people. Yeah. I love this.
1: That's exactly right. Um, Last fall, I was dealing, uh, all all last summer on Wednesday night, excuse me, I was fishing with a bunch of friends, and late in October, we we had this big gathering, and We were fishing, and afterwards I was hanging out talking to people, and one of the guys said something, and I said to him, well, you know, I'm a believer. I said, I have to tell you that I'm a believer. And he said, I know that. (laughs) And I said, how could you possibly know that? I never told you that. And he said, we can see by the way that you act towards us. And that was the big change for me because I used to really – be nasty to people that didn't believe what I believed. I was really nasty to people that didn't think the way that I thought. And through the hope, it changed me to understanding people. You told me you were an angry
0: atheist. I was an angry
1: atheist. It was, yeah, it was funny. So I have a son-in-law who is a pastor's son. This is real quick. And one night I was arguing with my other daughter, and we were really arguing really bad. <laughs> And my son-in-law says, I got a question for you. And I said, well, what's the question? He goes, I want to know what the winner gets. What's the winner of this argument get? (laughs) And I went, I don't know. What does the winner get, right?
0: That's because all you did was argue. All we
1: did was argue. And it put it into perspective that me arguing with my daughter Mm. was not winning anything. In fact, I
0: was losing because I was losing her through my anger and my arguments. Well, I didn't know you in these days, but I can see the transformation. I Thank can you. see the way you treat people, the way you treat your wife. God's changed your life. Let's give a big hand to Jack. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thank you. So Jack's picture was up there. <laughs> he, he, he's one of the ones whose life has been transformed. So, so we, I'm to the last question now. Hearing all these stories, see, it's, it's not just stories about other people. It, this can impact your life. So here's the last question. What should you do? Because see, when Jesus was raised from the dead, that validated everything he said. And he said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody gets to the Father in heaven except through me. When Jesus said stuff like that, he's either a crazy man or he is who he says he is. And when he died, people were like, see, I knew it. All that religious puffed up talk. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're dead now, Jesus. But when he came back from the dead, that validated everything he said. And now he's either the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, which is true in your life. Because you can't hear the truth of the resurrection and go, oh, that's interesting. Because the guy that was resurrected says, I am the way, I am Lord of all. So you either bow your knee to him and go, I get it. Or you go, I don't believe it. There really isn't any in between. Now, I love to give people opportunity To take the journey, to ask questions. But I want you to see how stark this is. This is not just hearing a story. What are you gonna do with the facts that Jesus was raised from the dead? And again, let's go back into the story one final time because this is what it was like in the first century. Not everybody believed when they heard from their friends, when they heard from their family. Sometimes it took people a while. For instance, the guy named Thomas. Remember I said that that when Jesus first showed up to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. And his friends are like, dude, he was amazing. It was Jesus. He's like, whatever. then he says these famous words. Unless I see, you guys, some of you know this story. Unless I see the nail prints in his hands. Then he got gross and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I appreciate his honesty. Well, Jesus wasn't in that room physically, but he was there. So the next week, Jesus says to Thomas, yo, Thomas, put your finger here. I heard you, Jack. I mean, I heard you, Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Thomas, stopped doubting. Believe, believe, there's there's the answer to the question. What should you do? Believe, and so Thomas does. He's like, now that I've seen the resurrected Lord, I believe, and he says, you are my Lord, you're my God. And then Jesus said to him, because you've seen me, you believe, way to go, Thomas, that's great. But look at this next phrase, but blessed are those who have not seen, who's that? Well, that's me and you. I have never seen with my eyes the resurrected Lord, but I believe. Many of you do. This is a blessing on you. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What should you do about the facts of the resurrection? You should believe Jesus is who he says he is. By the way, don't put believe down yet. Well, Jim, it's up there on the screen. I know, I know, I know. Just hold on. See, in English, when we use the word believe, it's kind of like it's a mental assent. Yeah, I believe that. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't result in anything. In the, the language of the New Testament, when the word believe was used, it was a word that meant trust. It's what Jesus meant in John chapter 12 when he said, Jesus, I have come as a light, the light of the world. To shine into this dark world so that all who believe, or as the New Living Translation says, all who trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. So I, you put believe or trust or just the word trust. That's, what, that's the idea, to trust Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Real simple, it means this, that I trust that Jesus died for my sins. You trust that when Jesus died on the cross, that he died for your sins. That's something you believe and trust. And you demonstrate that by turning from trusting in yourself. This is what I did. I was trusting in myself. I was the captain of my own ship. I was in charge of my life. Nobody else, it was my life. Then a day came when I turned from trusting in myself. So trusting Jesus. The Bible calls this word repentance. You maybe, maybe you've heard that word. Repent means to turn. I'm trusting in myself, my intelligence, my creativity, my wisdom, my way to figure things out versus trusting in Jesus. You see what I'm talking about? That's what trust means. I'm not just believing he's a historical figure. I'm not just believing he died on the cross. I'm not just believing that he was raised from the dead. Those are all important, but I'm Trusting in that truth and staking my life on it. So that trust now turns into a daily life. One last scripture to put up here finishes the gospel of John. And it's Jesus talking to Peter again. And he says to Peter these two simple words, Peter, follow me. I love it. That's... That's how simple this is. Trust Jesus, follow Jesus. Trust Jesus, follow Jesus. I'd love to invite you to do that right now. You, you can do that right where you're sitting. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe some of those questions have been answered. That's cool. Would you like today, right where you're sitting, in all of our campuses, would you like to trust Jesus? You say, well, ha. <laughs> Is it, This is where it gets weird and religious? No, no, it's not really weird at all. It's simply this. Same thing that Jack did. I, I want to talk to God. And if, you're, if you want me to, um, I'll actually pray a prayer, and you can repeat it after me. In fact, I would invite everyone to, to join me in this prayer. I'm going to pray it, and I invite everyone who, who, who believes it. So pay attention to my words, and then if you believe them, you say them with me, okay? In all of our campuses, let's go. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. And I believe you died for me. Forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting in you today. I turn from trusting in me to trusting in you. And I will follow you now. I will learn more about your life. I will trust you and follow you with all my heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, again, um, if you said those words and you believe them in your heart, that's the kind of thing that changes a person. That faith, watch this, attached to those words. So I'm not just saying words, I'm believing them. That starts this transformation process where God begins to change our lives. You say, why? Well, I still got questions. Okay, come to Alpha next, this Thursday and ask your questions. That's cool. Just, you know, text alpha to this number. Great. We love questions. Or, or maybe you're like, I don't know that I want to go to a class. Okay, watch this. Text follow to this number. You can do that today. You can do that next week. If you're like, I just want to talk to somebody. If you text follow, F-O-L-L-O-W, to this number, someone will call you and just sit down with you. See, this, we're not trying to make this into some emotional thing. But we are absolutely inviting you to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus. Well, then what? Start reading your Bible. Tell somebody, come to church next week. We're starting a new series next week. It's on temptation. And we follow Jesus around here. So we're going to follow Jesus as he's tempted figure out how we might fight temptation in our lives. Come next week. Come the week after. Start coming to church every Sunday. S- start praying. Start reading your Bible. And, and you'll start reading the Gospels. And you start seeing Jesus. Just do what Jesus did. Trust Jesus. Follow Jesus. Really. It's that simple. And as you do, <laughs> your life will be transformed. You'll be changed from the inside I invite you to do that. Right now, I'm going to just ask everybody to stand up and then close your eyes. I'm going to pray a final prayer. We're going to sing a song. If you want to come up and talk to me after the fact, you can do after the service, you can. But Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for every single person here. You see them. There's not a person here that escapes your notice. Not only that, but you see our hearts and our minds. You know what we're thinking right now. And you love us like crazy, so much so that you died for us and you invite us to now follow you. So Jesus, personally, I can say you've made it easy because you're so good, you're so faithful. You've made it easy to trust you. And when I go through struggles, I just fall on you. I, tr- I trust in you. And I pray that's true for everyone here. We'll trust you. We'll follow you wherever you lead us. So in all of our campuses, in every one who's hearing my voice, we will trust you. We will follow you. So we pray this in Jesus' holy name.